0: fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis, and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls who, over the last two days, have dropped two games to the Miami Heat and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, for those of us who aren't necessarily pro-tank, these were, I guess, unfortunate losses. Both the Heat and Wolves are below 500 teams. And if the Bulls had gotten a pair of wins, their record right now would have been 7-13. and And considering all the injuries so far this season, that would have actually been a pretty good story. But instead, the team is now 5-15 and and looking at a very rough stretch of games coming up over the next two to three weeks. So here today to discuss those two losses to the Heat and the Wolves is someone who considers himself a legendary podcaster. You just have to ask him. He will surely tell you as much. It's Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you, sir?
1: Doing great, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. And I know you don't celebrate the holiday in Australia, but uh, happy Saturday to you. It's always good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem, mate. No problem. I'm glad to to have you on. Have you... Have you uh, look, I don't, I don't mean to offend you, but how many kilos have you put on over Thanksgiving? I'm, I'm led to believe you Americans literally chow down over the, over, over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend.
1: <laughs> Insane amounts. So we celebrated with my father on the south side of chicago on thursday and we had turkey that day and then um saturday friday we actually have what's called mexican thanksgiving my on my wife's side her brother is married to uh a, and one of the best uh latina cooks in the in the uh, city of chicago and rose put together what we have every year which is mexican thanksgiving which is my favorite day of the year uh, since it is the great uh, Mexican food's the greatest food in the world. And, uh, that was fantastic. So I've been, let's just put it mildly lying around in pain for like the last eight or eight or nine hours. Um, <laughs> and not just because of the bulls. I was going to say, is that related to the bulls or not? <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty much all related to food. And as an aside, you know, um, watching the bulls, reading your article on Jabari Parker, etc. cetera. <laughs> so it's been a rough Rough two days, but I'm I'm getting over it now. I'm starting to feel like myself. How you been, man? I've been Doing okay. Well?
0: I've been okay. It's funny you say that because I have had a similar fe- uh, feeling. We don't th- with our celebrate Thanksgiving down here, down in Australia, but I've had a similar feeling watching the Bulls over the last two games. It's been it's been some frustrating basketball because for for the most part they've played pretty well. It's just seemingly one quarter that always does them in where. They play well for a period of time, then all of a sudden they just have one terrible quarter, and that one terrible quarter ends up being the one that obviously haunts them and costs them the game. Against the Heat, it was that second quarter. The second quarters have generally been the Bulls' Achilles heels, but in, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, they actually played pretty well in that second quarter, but they sort of faded hard in that fourth quarter. So the Bulls couldn't stop Karl-Anthony Towns in this game, and yeah, like I said, in that fourth quarter, it was just a complete disaster.
1: Well, it hit me watching the Heat game. I thought the Heat game was a perfect example of a, a game where the Bulls would have most likely have won if they had marketing in the lineup or Portis in the lineup. Because if you look at quarter two, what basically happened in quarter two was Whiteside just took over defensively, and uh, there was no one to as a threat on, on the perimeter to really pull them out of the paint. Whereas if the if marketing was healthy or Portis was healthy – those two guys would at least track his attention and he couldn't afford it to just hang around the rim and block shots for the entire quarter yeah, and, and cause havoc defensively. So I, I think you would have seen a drastically different game. That's what happened basically is, you know, guy like Felicio doesn't, isn't a threat. Lopez isn't a threat. He just hung around the rim and affected every shot within 10 feet of the, of the rim. So, you know, those games would be vastly different if we were quasi healthy, you know, tonight, another perfect example uh, with the loss um, this evening. I mean, uh, Blakeney, Ryan Arcinato, Blake and Blakeney, Harrison are 4-36 over the last two games. I mean, so I think that Levine and Parker have played really well in, in Holiday to a certain extent for the, for the last two games and just not getting any support out of those two. And having an infu- infusion of talent in marketing is going to drastically improve this team and I think it's going to put us in this weird abyss of you know it's not not good enough to get to the top of the lottery, but uh, potentially challenging for that eighth playoff seed. We're we're too far deep in the hole to really get that realistically. So I think we might. I'm worried we're going to be in for a worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm envisioning as well. So I expect the Bulls to be in that sort of six to nine range when, once once it all's said and done in terms of worst records in the league um so that's probably not where you, you want to be at this point you probably either want to be sort of challenging for a playoff spot or you want to be really bad to get one of these dude kids but it kind of seems like they're going to be nowhere in or in the middle of that really which is kind of no man's land but it's tough watching the Bulls at the moment because one of the few rare spots in, in terms of watching this team is watching Wendell Carter Jr and I don't know why but the refs seem to really be having having it out for this kid and I'm like I I made this point the other day against when I recorded after the Suns game but it seems like these the refs really are having it out there for Wendell Carter Jr some of the calls that he is called on are legitimate but there's like one or two each game which end up costing him big time and he has to always sit early and and against the heat he had the six fouls he only played the 13 minutes so to your point before about Hassan Whiteside sort of going off in that second quarter. It's well, it's tough to do because he was doing that against Felicio and and, and Robin Lopez, and because Carter Jr. was on the floor. So even against the Minnesota Timberwolves for most of the game, he, he was sort of not in foul trouble. But in the last quarter, there he picked up quite a few and ended up ended up the, um, with five fouls in that game. So. It's, it's one of those situations where it's tough to watch the Bulls at, at the moment regardless, but then seeing someone like Wendell Carter Jr. just get absolutely hosed by the referees over the last few games, it, it's tough to watch.
1: I agree 100%. What, what actually hurts it more is when you pick up those one or two fouls, it, abs- it affects how you play for the rest of the game. Yeah, And you see that all the way you know, from grammar school up, all levels of basketball. When you pick up two or three quick fouls, you have to play differently on the defensive end. Your hands are straight up. You can't reach as much, you can't take as many risks, and it really hurts your play going forward. It's just totally muted him and his talents, and it's it's really frustrating. I, this in the NBA, I always like to say this: this if that was you know like Al Horford playing and and he did the exact same plays, and ran the exact same space that that Wendell Carter did. There's no way he falls out of that heat game. They just call it differently, and you don't see it in football. You don't see it in baseball. You don't see a different strike zone for the better hitters. I don't know why in the NBA it's constantly gone in this direction of giving the stars the benefit of the calls, but it's real. It happens, and it's my biggest issue with Fred. I just feel like that leads to a huge amount of frustration Um, And when from a player, especially a young player, where you're getting kind of hosed by the rest, and if your coach doesn't say anything – uh, to Fred's credit, he did against the Heat, but if he doesn't say anything and is more aggressive in working the officials, it does lead to frustration from the players and it, it leads to a little bit of a feeling like this guy doesn't have my back. Uh you just need to do it for that reason alone. That's by far to me the best thing about Tom Thibodeau was that's what he did. Work the officials for every second of that game, you know. And I even today I noticed Thibodeau was complaining about a call when they were up, like, you know. 15 or whatever two two minutes left he's still barking complaints about the official that that's that's what you need you know um and i just i think fred's the worst potential mix for a young team when it comes to this cuz you have the combination of a a young team who's not going to get the benefit of the doubt and a coach who's not willing to fight for it
0: yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. Like, look, I've been on record in defending Hoiberg on certain topics that we've discussed over the last few months, but uh, look, it's hard for me to argue against that. He's just not demonstrative out there, and, and when he is, he's, he still looks relatively calm. So I certainly see what you're saying there. But even though we're sort of having a bit of a gripe here against the refs and how they've handled Wendell Carter Jr., there was no way he was going to stop Karl-Anthony Towns tonight anyway, who had 35 points, 22 rebounds, and 6 assists. He was absolutely dominant, and the Bulls just couldn't keep Towns, and the Wolves in general off the glass tonight. 58-40 to 40 was the rebounding count. I think the Wolves mm-hmm. had 21 offensive rebounds. Karl-Anthony Towns had 9. Dario Saric off the bench in 24 minutes had 9 himself. The Bulls um, only had 6 offensive rebounds for as a team, so they were completely destroyed... On the glass, second chance opportunities. The the Wolves had a sixteen point point differential on the offensive glass, which is pretty much the lead there in this game. So the Bulls just couldn't uh, match the uh, Wolves on the glass, and ultimately that turned out to be the difference in the game.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of I know we were joking around, going back and forth, and I highlighted a play where our good friend Ryan Archinado did not box out uh, Saric, and Saric got an offensive rebound and put it back. So the Bulls are doing a lot of switching lately, and that, that's what happened. We got caught on in a switch, Ryan's alone on Saric, and, and a disaster happens. But I think a bigger picture here is for whatever reason, and I, I haven't really figured out why, I love it when I see teams crashing the borders like that very hard. And uh, Minnesota was doing it really well tonight, Saric especially, Towns too. Shot goes up. You'll see a power forward or a center just tacking the rim. I don't know why. I don't think the Bulls have been doing it this year. I don't think they've done it at all in Heuberg's in uh tenure and I, I really can't even though they've had a couple good rebounding teams. Uh I just especially this year, I don't know what the what the issue is. You don't see guys like streaking towards the rim trying to get an offensive rebound, and I can't figure out why. What say you?
0: Well it's a couple of things. If you want to play like a four out, five out sort of style of play, it's gonna be harder obviously to hit the offensive glass. So some teams by design just try not to hit it, I guess. So that's one thing. But for a team like the Bulls as well, who are pretty bad in transition, D trying to to hit that offensive glass and then having that, or I guess having that reputation of not being great on in, in getting back in defensive transition and, and getting back and hustling like like we know the Bulls tend to do. I sort of understand why the defense and why Hoiberg may maybe instructing just to almost give up on the offensive glass. Well, not give up, but just maybe not go as hard as like a team like Minnesota do, who clearly under Tibbs, and we saw that during his tenure here in Chicago, that the Bulls teams under Tibbs hit the offensive rebounding or hit the offensive glass rather quite hard. And obviously the Wolves did that tonight. So I think it's more just a, a combination of style of play. But also the fact that the Bulls just are bad in transition D. And if you're going to hit the offensive glass, then you have to be really good and really disciplined in terms of getting back on D. But the Bulls obviously are not that.
1: Yeah, I think they've had a couple of good teams. I'd have to go back and look at the stats. I could have sworn they had a couple of good teams that were uh, offensive rebound via offensive rebounds.
0: Yeah, when, uh, when, when uh, it was Lopez and Taj Gibson, I think when, in the three alpha days, that, that was good. But, yeah, uh, I,
1: that I, makes sense. Beyond you know, that, trying, I'm, I'm
0: not too sure. I'd have to check, but my gut feel is I, I doubt it, but I, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, we play a four-out on the team that I coach, and to me it's always easier to get re- offensive rebounds on a four-out because you're, you're, your defense is so stretched, it's really difficult to box somebody out 20 feet away from the basket really effectively every time. So if you got four guys that, that far away from the rim, one of these guys should be able to attack the rim and get in good position. It's 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 a tough I don't know. I I, I think what you probably touched on is the answer. Sometimes the guys on the court just aren't made to get offensive rebounds and they're not good at it. And I think that's maybe the situation here. But, uh, you know, regardless, it's not the reason we're losing. The team is just such a uh, we're just so right now with rotation players being out and offensively challenged outside of Levine and Parker and Holiday on certain nights. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yep, totally agree. But, I mean, let's talk about Jabari Parker, who had probably his best game as a Chicago Bull. Uh, I said that the other game went against the Phoenix Suns, but I put the caveat on it that we the Bulls were playing against the Suns, who are, are just a, an abomination of a team, maybe even worse than the Bulls, and, and they were they, they just had no rim protection at all, and it made, made life a lot easier for Parker, but for all of the Bulls. So I put that caveat on his performance last time around, but against the, the Wolves here on this occasion... I thought he was probably even better than he was against the Suns. 27, uh, 27.7 rebounds, four assists, shot the ball pretty well, or not pretty well, very well, 61%, hit three of his three. So he was doing a bit out there, and uh, I kind of liked the way he was playing because he was playing more off ball, wasn't necessarily settling for the mid-range too. There were a couple positions where that occurred, but he was sort of moving without the ball, doing those all sort of little things well. Obviously, there's there's going to always be one or two Uh, defensive sort of plays which you can sort of focus in on and get frustrated over, which I tend to do. But I thought by and large, this is probably Jabari Parker's best game as a Chicago Bull.
1: Well, he scored over 20 points in four of his last five games. And, you know, regardless of what people feel about the league, it's a scorer's league. You need to have that talent. He has that talent. His future is now with the Chicago Bulls. I've come to that realization. I think the the, uh, fan base has already turned on him. So I'm kind of relieved that you know, hey, he's not going to be part of the part of the picture moving forward. I do feel that he would be an excellent player leading that second unit, and I think when everybody's healthy, the Bulls would be very good, potentially very good with him and Ryan on that second unit doing great things. But I do, and Holiday too. And, you know, if you can find a three who's better than Holiday, and either that's Hutch or maybe someone in the free agency, um, that's a great thing. But his his future clearly isn't with the Bulls. There's not a fit there. We have a four. He's going to, a four and a five for the next decade. So his best position is at the four. It's not going to be here. The question is, what well, What do you do with him? And I will say, if he's four out of five games, he keeps on playing the way he has in the last week or two. I have no doubts we're going to be able to get something for him. Uh, he there, there, There's just, he's 23 years old. That's the biggest issue I had with your article. I love reading all, you know, people disagree with me. I, you make a lot of good points. Not a great fit. I would counter, uh, and this is a point I've been making for a long time. And I was going back and forth with somebody; the email was telling me that Casey Johnson said something similar in the mailbag, and he's absolutely right. Bulls are in year two of a, a rebuild. They're not; it's not about fit. It's about acquiring as many talented young pieces as possible from from now until the next, you know, two or three years. Then you could worry about fit. But you need to get as much talent on the roster as possible, and then you trade away or you get these pieces and. And, and figure it out from there. But what, why are we worrying about it? We need to get a, a good three, a competent three. No, you get the best player available right now. And he clearly was, that guy was there at 23 years old and a scorer, proven score. You get him. Someone else emailed me saying it was just like the same situation as uh, Dwayne Wade. And I'm, are we serious? Really? He's 23. That's the difference. He's 23 years old. He's on a one-year deal. Uh, to me, it was like a no-brainer to make that attempt. And now I think it's starting, to bear, it's starting to bear some fruit. He clearly is getting more comfortable with the team. He's getting used to his position. He's played really well over the most part, over the last two weeks. So uh, either we're going to get something for him or, you know, I, I, I but I don't agree also with the idea that you should just release him, which you, I think, suggested in your article or somebody told me that via email. I, I don't understand that move. No, Maybe I'm, I'm not
0: necessarily suggesting that I should release him. Uh, I said that... I said in the article that they won't release him because that would just be a bad PR move. So, there's no chance that that's going to happen. So, I was just going through the the potential ways that he could be, I guess, eradicated off the roster. One of them is obviously trade. You think the Bulls could maybe get something for him. I'm not very confident about that. The other way is obviously get, just flat out getting rid of him, and I don't think that's going to happen either. So, I wasn't suggesting that would be what would uh, take place, but- I think fit is important, Fred. Now, I understand that the Bulls need to sort of just take hits on guys, but when you've already got Larry Marketing and Bobby Portis as your power forwards, bringing in another power forward, that's just complicating the issue far too much. So I do think fit is important. Now, with this, that's going to be sort of tested here once Marketing comes back over the next week or two and Bobby Portis uh, comes back in, at, you know, maybe two to two to three weeks after that. This whole fit versus just taking on the best player available, that, that theory is going to be tested here because if Jabari is better suited as a power forward, which is something we've discussed quite a bit, then what the hell happens with the power forward and the front court rotation?
1: You move Larry to the center in some lineups and you have Parker at the four and Marken at the five. That's what people do now. I mean, there's a lot of lineups of sort of five is smaller. You're basically playing a power forward at the five position, and then you have two guys that can hit the three that create runways for Dunn and, and, uh, Dun and Levine to, to rock. I mean, it sounds right? good in
0: theory, but what, it, what happens in the it event that Markkinen isn't ready to be a five? You're pushing him to center, so that's the drawback that I see, that you're, you're maybe advancing Markkinen to a position that he's not necessarily ready to play. So to my point...
1: But he's added 20 pounds of muscle. What well, he that's, did that's before he
0: he, he, he did before he sprained his elbow. I'm not sure how many uh, bicep curls he's been doing when, once he, uh, <laughs> sort of popped out that, or not popped out, but sprained that elbow there. So if Markkinen is ready to go to five, then maybe it can work. Maybe the, the rotation can work in that sense. But if, if Markkinen isn't ready to be a center for 15 minutes a game, then this is when it's, this whole theory is going to get tested. So I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that fit isn't important at this at this point. I think it definitely is.
1: Well, let's look at that game against Miami, quarter two. That's exactly what I, the Bulls would have probably done. A smart line move would have been, let's put Markin in at the five, put Parker at the four, and then you immediately then mitigate what uh, uh, Whiteside's effectiveness because he's going to have to go out and guard 25 feet out. You got to guard Larry Markin in that far out. You can't just hang around the rim. And I, I think the more I'm watching the league, I'm just laughing at some of these lineups. But you know what? If that's the way it's going to be played, Larry Markin absolutely can give you major minutes at center. Bobby Porter's can give you major minutes at center. You know, Lopez is a dinosaur. If he, he, What does he do great? His best thing are awkward post moves. And that's why he's not playing much. Uh, Fle- and, and Christian, you know, Fle- Felicio is just a disaster. I think those three guys are pretty good. Uh, four guys, excuse me: Wendell Carter Jr., Portis, Markinon, and and Parker. That's a good front court rotation. Those four. That's what you should stick with, and everybody else can pound sand. I do feel like that's uh, an option, and I think you'll see that quite a bit. Uh, I think that you're going to see Markinon, Parker, Holiday, uh, Levine, and Dunn when it gets back, and I, I do think that's going to be effective.
0: Well, I mean, time will tell. We'll see what happens. But obviously, we haven't necessarily seen it materialize on the floor just yet. Maybe you're right. Maybe Markkinen can handle those center minutes, and maybe that does unlock the front court a little bit. But uh, hopefully you can, because otherwise the Bulls are going to be going to be really top-heavy in that power forward spot without many small forward options. And obviously, not too many center options, given that we're sort of riding off Lopez and Felicio here as players that aren't very useful in the modern NBA. But... What about Zach Levine? He had a pretty good game, I thought, tonight against against the Wolves. He led the team with 28 points. It's, it's tough going out at the moment there for Zach Levine at the moment, given that the, the team has, has so few options around him, but he did have an efficient game, 9 of, 7, 9 of 17 shooting for his 28 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, got to the line 12 times. So he's playing pretty well considering all the issues around him. And I, I, I do feel for him at times, but I think the fact that the, the, the team has sort of had so few options around him, his three point shot has completely gone missing and there's just no one who who really has the ability to set Zach up for a catch and shoot three. So I don't know I don't know what the numbers are. I probably should have looked it up before stating this, but it feels like Levine basically never gets catch and shoot threes at this point. They're almost always off the dribble, and it's not surprising to see his three point percentage plummeting because of that.
1: No, I agree 100%. You know, he was 11-27 to 27 against the Heat, 1-5 of five from three. I thought he's had a stretch of some very bad, inefficient games. But it's just because he's getting blitzed every time he touches the ball. I generally have a feeling about Levine. Is Levine attacking the rim, good. Levine settling for long twos and threes, bad. And uh, right now, this, this team is not able to, you know, open up runways for him. It's just a fact. Parker hasn't been hitting the three at a great rate. You know, Holiday's been shooting pretty well from three, but uh, no one still, I don't believe, is really paying a t- ton of attention to him. I guess that might change in the near future if he keeps up, keep this up. And he's definitely played well on some nights. But overall, Carter's just been, to me, a little bit disappointing from three. You know, obviously he's a rookie. You can't expect a lot from a 19-year-old. I do think he's going to get much better at shooting three going forward. When marketing comes back, that's the whole key. When marketing comes back, it's going to open up everything for him, I think you're going to see him improve significantly. My only concerns are, you know, Levine's got to realize down the stretch in the fourth quarter, I want this to be marketing's team. I envision marketing as a top-ten player. He's got to be the alpha on this team, and yeah. then uh, have Levine kind of work off of him. I think that's the best way to maximize what the Bulls can be and have Wendell Carter Jr. as a do-everything-else type of guy, setting great picks, passing well. Uh, you know, rebounding, playing defense. That's where I think the Bulls, I do believe the Bulls can be a, ch- a title challenger just with those three as the best players Wendell Carter Jr., Markin, and Levine. That's how high I am on, on Markin. And I know I'm on an island on that one. Uh, but uh, I do feel like that's really going to be great. So I expect to see Levine improve quite a bit as soon as Lowry comes back because right now, all the bigs are hanging around the rim and not really running out. Uh, not, not, um, excuse me, uh, helping out in every one of his drives. So you'll see him play a lot better.
0: Yeah, uh, I think so. But uh, not to be the wet blanket here, but I think we probably need to temper expectations of what we assume marketing can do straight off the bat. I mean, he's coming back from an injury that so that's kept out eight to 10 weeks here. He's got a sprained elbow on his shooting arm. So whilst I expect the Bulls to eventually be much better with just having Markkinen's presence out there I'm sort of just want to temper expectations as to how good he will be straight away because I think I think what I'm sensing at least is this fan base is really yearning for some of these players to really get back done Mark and Portis to really just uh, boast this or beef up rather this uh, this second unit uh, and by pushing other players down the rotation I, I think that's why the second quarters have just been you know, it's just been a huge problem all season. So I think the fact that we've watched so much bad basketball that we're really keen to see these players come back so much so that we may be expecting too much of them too soon. So whilst I don't necessarily disagree with your wider point, I just almost want to take a conservative approach here and think maybe it'll be a little tough for Mark and sort of as he works his way back into the rotation um, once he does return in, say, the next week or so.
1: Yeah, I do. I want to get your opinion on, like, I I still hear people talking about the tank. And and I agree. Like, ideally, it would be great if we we had a top three pick. There's three great players out here. But how's that going to work? Like, when marketing comes back and Dunn comes back, do you really believe this team's going to be terrible? How can you possibly – how can anyone possibly come to that conclusion by seeing us win, you know, five games with this? You know, basically, uh, Levine, Parker, and, you know, let's hope for – whatever, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., right? Who's only playing limited minutes because he's in foul trouble so much. It's like, I, I just think when you get marketing back, it's so clear to me that this team is not going to be terrible. I don't understand what, how that would work out. Like, are you going to limit minutes? We're going to sit guys. Is that, is that really what we're, we're going to do? Cause I don't think that's smart either. I think that to me, like the better strategy is almost if. Why have we been saving all this cap space to go after free agents? Free agents aren't going to come here if we're going to be terrible, if we're going to be the Knicks. We should try to get as many wins as possible, and let's try to get that playoff spot. Because if we do get that playoff playoff spot, I think we're going to be able to do some interesting things in free agency. And I, I, I a lot depends on, ask yourself, do you feel that marketing, Wendell Carter Jr., and Levine can be the three core players on a title team if you don't believe that then you should be cheering for a tank but let's see how laurie looks when, when he comes back because i do think that is good enough for a title team and building around those three but that's just because i think you know laurie's so he, he's the kind of guy you you tank for we already have him we don't need to tank anymore what say you
0: I don't think it's a bad scenario. <laughs> obviously, if they end up with one of these Duke guys, let's just call them. Let's just obviously simplify it by saying that. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the tank. I I do somewhat agree that it's too early to be thinking about that just yet. But look, it's obviously not a bad situation to end up with one of those three guys. That that's that's the ups uh, the upside here. Now, if it doesn't happen, it obviously make things a little bit more difficult to 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 maybe improve the team. But to your point. The fact that that the Bulls are sort of running or trying to play this cap space game, you're you're probably more likely to be a success in that in that sort of game if you're actually a decent team rather than one that's sort of dwindling towards the bottom year after year. Absolutely. So, I get, yeah. I get I get I get that perspective, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say I, I would be disappointed by ending the season with Zion Williamson. So, uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing to me, Fred.
1: Is that who you want? Let's say we get the number one pick overall, and you get Zion, who I I just have such a hard time. I mean, there's no doubt he's one of the most interesting athletic players I've ever seen. It's insane. You know, I'd I'd say Charles Barkley's like the only guy who comes to mind of someone who looks so what's the word I'm trying to say? It's just, he's just, it's almost like a cartoon watching him play. Yeah. He's just so big. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's strange in a way, you know, like, but I also do there is a big hole in this game that he can't hit a shot. And that's not good for today's NBA. Like, that's a big thing. You know, to me, like, I, I get in these conversations about the Sixers. To me, there's nothing that could not be – the Sixers couldn't solve if Simmons was able to hit a three-pointer occasionally. He just, he just can't hit a shot. And that's what – that's why they're going to cap out at three. You know, probably top out at three in the East. Uh, if he can't be at least a threat from the three-point line – they're always going to be limited when it comes to playoff time. And I don't know. I love Zion. I mean, there's no doubt that we should all be happy if we get him. But does he, is he a three? Do you see him as a three?
0: Look, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it matters. I think there's obviously things to consider with Zion. But I think the reality is there's just, we haven't seen a guy like this ever before. So it's kind of hard to say what he will or won't be, how he will fit, how he won't fit, all these sorts of things. Like he just made change how your the entire identity of what your team is, so he he's a, a complete anomaly in that sense. We're not like I mean, obviously it's a lot easier to see how RJ Barrett or Cam Reddish fit into this sort of squad. They could fit nicely on the perimeter straight away, but if Zion over the years sort of proves himself to be that far ahead of those two, then I think you just you just do it and then you try to make it work somehow. I don't think it's completely uh it's not completely, uh, completely, un- or impl- implausible, rather, to think that he couldn't fit. But I'm not sure, mate. Like, it, like I said, I don't want to talk about tanking too much because, like we, we sort of about we mentioned it before, I don't see the Bulls being in that top three position. So unless something crazy happens, it's unlikely that they're going to be at that point. But I wanted to talk about a little bit here about Derek Rose, who, obviously, a former Bull playing the Bulls. You're going to see a lot of former Bulls out there, but Derek was the one or is the one, I guess, this season who's been really performing. And it's almost come out of out of the blue here because, look, post his Bulls career, he's put up numbers. He put up numbers with the Knicks. I think he averaged 18 points of a game. And when you look at that number just in, in isolation, it seems good, but he was never efficient. He wasn't really playing very well. His, his shot wasn't good at all. But now with the Wolves, not only is he scoring the ball, but his three-point shot actually looks legitimate. So... I wanted to just to give Derek a bit of a shout-out here because not only is he sort of reviving his career in Minnesota, but he's become an efficient scorer all of a sudden and he's doing it on, on the back of his three-point shot, which I did not see coming at all.
1: No, I, I do disagree a little bit that we didn't see it coming. He was absolutely fantastic in the playoffs last year. I thought he had some really nice moments w- with uh, Minnesota.
0: But did you ever you know, think not, you'd have a Derrick Rose 50 point game this season? No,
1: no, definitely not that. And definitely not, like, look at tonight. You know, he's 31 minutes, 22 points, 9 to 13 from the field, 2 of 4 from the three point line. No, no, absolutely not. You know, one turnover, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, and uh, I'm happy for him, you know, and I will say. I, when I, the Bulls outsiders auditions, I was talking about this. I was just thinking in my head, what a great story it would be if next year, Derek Rose joined our team as the backup point guard. Now, of course I was kind of like at the time talking about the big red Leviathan and the Bulls winning seven seed and, and then going on to seven title next year. But think about the story of the Bulls, uh, bringing Derek Rose in as a backup point guard and winning their seven title with him on the roster. Just that, as a valuable member of the team, just that idea, I mean, what a story that would be. And I honestly do feel that he would be a great target as a backup point guard next season for, for the beloved Bull. Assuming, assuming Dunn proves himself and, and we have enough confidence in him, what do you think of that possibility?
0: Well, it's funny because I had a tweet out this morning suggesting that the Bulls in free agency, or at least I was thinking about free agency already, and given how bad the Bulls have been, you can sort of excuse me for that, but I was looking at it and I was looking at the available point guards and I noticed Spencer Dinwiddie was available, now we know he was a brief ball during, um, well he was a brief ball during his, his career I should say, but I wouldn't mind sort of bringing back Spencer Dinwiddie, but at the same time, if that doesn't happen and Dunn does prove to be that starting point guard, then I could see that Derrick Rose situation where he could be that, that spark plug off the bench and could really run that, that backup unit. And I guess he's been playing a little bit more shooting guard than point guard for Minnesota. So that's something to consider now as well, whether his career is more transitioned to the two than the one. So, maybe you would still need a backup point guard. But I'm not against the idea of bringing Derek back. But I, I, look, I'm not sure. Maybe he just wants to stay in Minnesota now, given how good things have worked for him there.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think we're, there's a good chance, Tibbs, this will be his last year there. And obviously, he has a special relationship with Tom. So who knows if he'll want to be there if Tom's gone next year. Who knows if the new coach or organization will want him there. I mean, I think he's gonna. they're going to have a hard time Uh, It it letting him walk, though. If he keeps on playing at this level, he's clearly a a fan favorite there. He's been awesome. The the issue with Derek is always the same thing. It's like, even after he had the 50-point game, within a week, he was off, you know, missing games due to injury. And it's just so unfortunate for him. Uh, Hopefully he can stay healthy and kind of thrive in this type of Jamal Crawford role going forward, because I wish him nothing but the best. I don't understand the hatred or animosity towards Derek Rose. When you get down to it, his career here in Chicago was a disappointment because of injury and it's not his fault. You know, I mean, I, I just don't understand just the, the I, I mean, I, I do understand some people their points they are making, it all comes down to, he sat out the whole year. That's what it comes down to. And that really rubbed people the wrong way, especially in Chicago, who obviously do not like it. If you're not given forth effort. Uh, so the, and it's, it's an un, unforgivable offense, but you know, I think that's a, if you just, let it go you know that's that's what I'd like to say, you know obviously I don't know do, do you feel that's the reason i what do you feel the reason that he's so disliked in Chicago in, in some quarters
0: yeah I mean it, it is the quitting thing people have the perception that he's quit obviously and and it's completely justified I think as to why people feel that way, but I think it's also the reverse is completely justified and I think at it's probably part of the reason and probably the the source of why this fan base in terms of the and uh, you know how we're always at opposed on certain topics how there's always this faction or this large 50-50 split between ideals of of, of what fans sort of think about this squad I, I think the Derek rose situation the injury in sort of 2012 that that sparked the whole thing and everything's just flown on from there so i get i get both sides i, I don't necessarily have a strong view either way i still have uh, I still have, I guess, a connection with Derrick Rose, but I completely understand why someone may feel otherwise and why they feel strongly about it and, you know, why there are still fans from Chicago who still want to see this guy do well and still would love to see him back in Chicago. So I completely get both sides, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy to see him sort of rekindling his career in Minnesota with Tibbs, with Taj, and obviously uh, Luol Deng now in there as well. It's it's kind of see uh, cool to see that all happening Away from Chicago, but at the same time, I'm just glad for Derek that it is occurring. He's obviously been pretty damn amazing. But
1: he's Amen, quite... 100%. Just really quick, though, I do want to mention I saw your tweet on Taj. I agree 100% on that one, too. I would love to see that guy back in Chicago. And as an aside for anyone who didn't, who's not in Chicago, I was listening to the radio broadcast, and Chuck Tworsky brought up an interesting story that Taj had the exact same ankle surgery that Denzel Valentine is about to undergo. Yeah, and Taj had specifically stated that 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 surgery saved his career, and he reached out to Valentine to tell him, "Hey, this will help you. You know, just give him encouragement, word of encouragement." I mean, the guy is such a class act. There are few players that ever went through this town that I think more embodied the city and what everything we hold dear. Uh, better than Taj Gibson has. And and I would absolutely love to see him back in Chicago as a backup.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Role players, for whatever reason, they're the guys that I'm drawn to more so than the stars. That's why Kirk Heinrich and jo- Joakim Noah are my boys. But right there is Taj Gibson for me. And I absolutely love Taj Gibson for the reason why you just pointed out. He's not even with the Bulls anymore, but he's still reaching out to Denzel Valentine, providing leadership Away from the Bulls and sort of mentioning this is what he did. This is what he should do and passing on that information to Denzel. So Taj is just the ultimate team guy. And if you just watch Wolves games, not necessarily when they're playing against the Bulls, but just watching a Wolves game, you'll hear the Wolves uh, announcers just raving about the kind of person Taj Gibson is. So I would love to see him back in Chicago and Fred. I think maybe if you, know, you don't bring Jabari Parker back, you've got that extra cap space, maybe you could sign <laughs> Derrick Rose and uh, Taj Gibson, maybe yeah. a couple of other former Bulls as well while we're at it. What do you reckon?
1: There you go. I'd, I'd be happy with that one. I'd be happy. Hey, I'm on record. I, I don't think Jabari is a good fit for him going forward. Uh, I mean, it's just not, it just doesn't make sense to pay a lot of money for any four or five when uh, we have uh, Larry Markin and. and um, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. going to man that spot for next decade. So I think we're all in agreement on that.
0: No, definitely. And, and look, while we're talking about about Jabari, I thought that would be a perfect segue to talk about one of your other favorite players on this team, Justin Holliday. And he's actually had a pretty <laughs> two game sample here. Rebounded the ball well. He's he had five assists today against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So obviously didn't shoot that well against the Wolves today, five of eighteen. But I guess some of that you could be excused on a back to back back to back. Not not many scoring options beside besides Parker and Levine there. So it was tough going for Holiday. But even though his shot was off, he still con- contributed with the 11 boards and five assists, as I mentioned before, but against the Heat as well. 27 points, 13 rebounds. What, what have you made of Justin Holiday, one of your favorites of the last two games for it?
1: It's funny you mention that because I was going back and forth with our mutual friend Sylvie on direct message on Twitter today. And he had the same thing uh he pointed out Justin Holiday has played eighty one minutes of basketball this weekend. My question, what's the point? <laughs> <He's> <laughs> I love that that's what I say. What's the point to everything? He's not part of the future. you're not getting anything in a trade. That's the one part I kind of disagree now, like you know after listening, I will admit when you have good points and you brought up the point that last year, yeah, we weren't able to get anything for him, but now he's on a on a, a contract that's obviously, uh, you know, expiring, I do. I am starting to believe we could get something for him. You know, like there are a couple areas where you can, might be able to send Justin Holliday, uh especially if there's any more injuries. You know, New Orleans, right? Wouldn't that be a good fit there? Yeah, it I mean, there's, say there's you. a lot of I mean, spots where he yeah, Are can... you starting to believe that? But I think we both agree, Justin is not in the future of this team.
0: I don't think so. It doesn't but really I, make he's sense. He's not on the
1: team next year, right? I doubt you know, it. So, I mean... Well, that's let's get let's get into it really quick since you're bringing him up. I I, I will admit I, I was probably a little bit too harsh on him this year. Just a little bit. He's really come. He's come around. and <laughs> had some nice performances. He also I find him maddening because I I do feel like he's inconsistent. Like he'll have a great game, no doubt. He's had a lot of those, and then the next game, you know, he's two for ten or whatever, and uh, you know, below slightly below average defense. Uh, not a great rebounder. Not a great passer. You know, he's allergic to the paint. But, like, he's not on the team next year. When Hutch gets back, I want to see Hutch playing more. Do you concur? Do, you want, do you, you want to see that move starting to happen where you're giving the young guy minutes? Or do you feel like, hey, maybe we should still be playing to win?
0: So a couple of things. So you brought up what's the point of of Justin Holiday at the moment? I guess the point of Justin Holiday at the moment is so we don't have to watch Antonio Blakeney play basketball. So that's a pretty good point <laughs> to me. I'm pretty happy for Justin Holiday to play a whole damn game if it means I don't have to watch too many minutes of Antonio Blakeney jacking up crap. So that's the first point. But I look, assuming Hutchinson is earning his minutes. And is worth 20, 25 minutes a game. Then I definitely want to see him play more basketball. I don't think Justin Holiday should be top 10 in minutes as he is currently. I mean, that's kind of insane. But it sort of does speak to the Bulls issue on the wing there. They don't really have many options. Obviously, Valentine has been ruled out for the season. Jabari hasn't necessarily played much small forward at all. Now, the Bulls don't really have a ton of options with Hutchinson out now the last couple of games with back spasms as well, so I kind of get why Justin Holiday is playing a ton of minutes here, but once the team is fully healthy, let's say, and who knows if they ever will be, but assuming Chandler Hutchinson can get back and is actually worth playing 20 to 25 minutes a game, which I don't think is the case every game, I think he has some spurts of minutes, you know, a seven-minute block here and there where he plays really well, but... I'm not sure if he's justified thus far that he's worth more than 15, 20 minutes a game at this point. But maybe as the season progresses, that changes. And if it does change, then certainly at that point, I'm, I'm all open to Hudson playing more minutes over holiday. That's fine with me.
1: Well, I think the key is, and you kind of you alluded to it a little bit, you need marketing to come back in order for Hutch to really shine. Because there's too much, there's too little offense on the team as currently constituted. That you're dependent on that position for offense. But when marketing comes back, you're gonna have more options there. Um, I, I think it's gonna be, and you, you're you're gonna be able to slide Parker at the three. He did it for Milwaukee against certain matchups. I understand not all, but for certain matchups, you'll be able to give some time to Parker at the three. I just feel like that's the key for Hutch is when marketing's out there. Uh, there won't be as much pressure on him to provide offense. And I think that will be beneficial to him and his performance because you'll have a guy who I think will be an elite talent in the league offensively. So, uh, And you'll see him play a lot better regardless you know holiday's not in the future plans i think i'd like to trade him as soon as possible you brought up that point that he's on pace to break the shatter the ben gordon record which in my <laughs> opinion is a good enough reason to trade him as soon as possible <laughs> i do feel that we're we're, we're both simpatico on blakeney we got to celebrate these moments where we're both see guy eye to eye. to i don't know if you heard the last bullseye where i had marcus couch on and that's one of his favorite players and yeah, that's
0: shocked. I, I, heard I shocked i'm shocked that
1: was bad <laughs> I'm shocked at the guys who love. There are tons of people I respect and love who are in love with Blakeney, and, and I don't understand it. I just don't see it. He's to me, you know. I understand having that hunger, need, requiring that need to shoot to get to the show. But now you're in the show. Hey, dude. Let's let's you know dial it back a, a dozen. You know, I mean, my goodness, it's unbelievable how that guy chucks.
0: Oh, he's terrible. I I did not like him. He. Look, he's probably a great kid, but I just don't like the way he plays the, the game of basketball at all. He was 0 for six against the uh, the Miami Heat, a Heat rather, two for seven against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So he <laughs> hasn't really? been very efficient at all. But it's just the the shots that he does take. But it's funny because whenever I see your podcast come up into my iTunes feed. I'm, I'm always straight on it, Fred. I'm a big fan, as you know. But whenever uh, you have a guest on, on the Chicago Bullseye, when, even when you do the big red bus there with Doug Tonus... And, and that person, whether it's Doug or a guest happens to make a point that I disagree with. And you happen to be making the point that I actually agree with. I get frustrated in that. <laughs> so I heard, <laughs> I heard Marcus Couch making the point about how Blakeney was, you know, one of his more favored players and the fact that he tries on defense and he's, he's a guy that could sort of lead the team off the bench and be that spark plug scorer. And I was just shaking my head because one, I didn't agree with Marcus at all, but two, he was forcing me to agree with you. So. This is a double <laughs> negative.
1: I will say, uh, as an aside, did, did you hear the last big red bus with uh, the great one, Doug Tonis?
0: I did, of course.
1: Did you hear that RPM evisceration? I did. Which, did you? I'd like your opinion on that. And for anybody who hasn't listened to it, it's part one of the last uh, big red bus. I think it's about seven minutes and 25 seconds in. And uh, in general, Doug says it's a stat that's based on causation uh or correlation at causation i would just like your opinion on that
0: well look I, I touched on rpm in my last show and obviously you clearly haven't listened to that i so have thanks yet, well, thanks for that fred well, I, I
1: will <laughs> you know i listen to all your shows i talk about well, i just gave thing.
0: you all this praise and you haven't even listened to my last episode how dare you but okay. um i did hear i hear doug, i hate I, I did hear doug go off on that And I could sort of see his point, but the entire point of RPM in general is is not a ranking tool. You don't look at it and say a player is 430th in the NBA, therefore he is the, or 430th in RPM, therefore he is the worst player in the NBA. So it's, it's not a counting stat in that sense where you see players ranked one through 430 and that's necessarily where they rank in the league. So that caveat needs to be applied on it. And I think once you do apply that caveat and and don't necessarily use it to compare or rank players, then I think it's fine. And, And it's one of those stats that improves over time. Once there is more data coming and filtering through. So, I think you just gotta take it for what it's worth and apply those sort of caveats on it. And if you do, then I don't think it's necessarily one of those topics that get, that you necessarily have to get too worked up about it. I just found it amusing that Jabari was last because of all the things we've discussed. But I did I did understand why Doug sort of took exception to it and I kind of get his point of view, but uh, I think if you look at the stat and how to apply it a little bit differently, then maybe maybe it's um not a big not a big real issue, I'd say.
1: Well, in Doug's defense, he did state it's the best defensive stat he thinks that's available, which I probably agree with. And then he also stated that uh, even the people who it said you need more of a body of work, which I agree with wholeheartedly, like to yeah. make anything. And that's the problem is people are, you know, of course, tweeting me making conclusions out of Jabari Parker's the worst player in the NBA due to the RPM stat. That's basically what I got for about you know two straight weeks in emails and tweets uh, or not two straight weeks ever since it came out. you know, Every day I'm getting one. Hey, did you see this? Yeah, I've seen it about 10,000 times. Thanks. Pound <laughs> <man.">
0: <laughs> well, fair enough. And look, I mean, I also heard Doug close the show by saying, you know, give Bull, uh, Big Red Boss a you know, five-star review, subscribe to all that sort of stuff on iTunes. But then, he did also say, if you do happen to think it's only worth one one star, then the show is now called Bulls HQ. So he was taking a stab at this show. So I've got, I've got, I've got to have a quiet word to the old Doug, Th- uh, Doug Thonis there, and and just oh. um have a quiet word to to Doug and just just see what he's asking here. or What, what he's he always there.
1: he always talks highly of you, no matter what I
0: complain. <laughs> no matter what I I, I think I think the world of Doug. So I'm just joking around here, but. Fred, before we get away, we've talked enough about these two losses, the, the loss of the Wolves and the Heat. I want to I end on a good note. They're all, they typically are always are a, a fun time when I ask you these questions. But, well, not, not ask you a question. I ask you for a story. So I want to close this podcast with another story from Fred Pfeiffer.
1: Sure. So, of course, this will go back to the band. So I did get a couple emails after my appearance on Bulls HQ about how <laughs> we came up to, with the name Tight Pants Jimmy. So, so, so which
0: band are we talking about? We're, we're talking t- Tight Pants Jimmy this time.
1: So, uh, yeah, so I was exactly Tight Pants Jimmy was the Japari Parker of cover bands. That was the band where we did the same song for four t- in four different sets. We played the same song. <laughs> so the first set was great, and the rest was awful, as you as you stated. So I've been in three bands. The first band wanted tension in college. Uh, uh, in college. And then Giggle Water was after college, and that was the most successful iteration. And then Type Aunt Jimmy was the final band. And Type Aunt Jimmy, the name I got Type Aunt Jimmy from was uh, in Vegas. We I went to Vegas every year for about 20 years, um, from when the time I was in college to out of college. And then anyhow, to make a long story short, I always, uh, before I was married, I always had a code name. All the guys that I went with, we never were our actual names. So I was Jimmy on one of those trips.
0: Because you're a big sign celebrity and you just wanted no one to know where you were sort of
1: staying (laughs) staying in which hotel. Is that why? (laughs) Yeah, basically. I'm sure if people listen to this who've gone to Vegas, they just want to go have fun and not, you know, have a fake name and alias. And alias in Vegas is it, as I call it. And I wrote a song called Alias in Vegas, which I maybe will play on one of my later podcasts. One of the original songs we did in Taipan's Jimmy. Anyhow. (laughs) So, unfortunately, I had gained a little weight. And uh, I went from a size 32 to a 34, maybe even pushing a 36 in the jeans at the time. And uh, I took the wrong, all the pairs of pants I took were the wrong size. They were my old size, 32. So these pants were so skin tight and and looked so ridiculous on me that uh, when we went to this one establishment, uh, a woman came up to me and started a conversation with me. And then I was uncomfortable, and she said, "What's wrong with you? I'm like these pants are too tight." And she looked at them, and, <laughs> and she was like, "They are. They are far <laughs> too tight." You know who oh, you God. are. You're tight pants, Jimmy, and that's how the name started from there. And unfortunately, after about a two-hour conversation, she ended up being a lady of the night, um, <laughs> which was the worst part about it. After wasting my time, she uh, said. uh, I, honestly you would have never guessed it you would have never guessed it in a million years that she was a lady of the night she seemed like a nice girl <laughs> she she goes like whatever I'll, you know would you have this and i'll we'll go upstairs And i'm like oh you know just like i felt like i punched in the face and i was like i was about to uh ask you the same question as a joke you know like pretending that i was a prostitute um but uh <laughs> do you get it do you get the joke no
0: yeah. Yeah, great one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very good one anyhow we went our separate ways i'll never that's that was pathetic anyhow um so yeah i never saw her again of course um but it was interesting so that's how the name came anyhow <laughs> let's go back in time a little bit to the wanted tension this is a good story uh, so you're a metallica fan right yeah of course you remember the black album when that came out i, I
0: remember it not the best it's but the yeah album. go on
1: i like that album i thought it was an underrated album it's, it's very good
0: not, not great There's, but good
1: Enter Sandman, great song. So fast forward about four years, we're in the middle of grunge. And I was initially resistant to grunge, still wanted to rock out. And we were in this band and we had a show in college at the U of I. And we did nothing but like rock, like Guns N' Roses. And we opened with Enter Sandman, all hard stuff. And people loved it. It was a huge hit. But in that type of music, you need to have a good drummer. It's very key for that type of hard rock. So anyhow, we had this great guy who was a good drummer. (sighs) I'm not not gonna embarrass him with his name. We'll just say his name is Pete. Uh, And Pete was in a fraternity and right before the gig, he had had something like 21 shots. And then I I can't remember what the the, the thing was, like a 21 shots in 24 hour period, some insane amount. He shows up at our gig totally out of his mind. So we're, I'm like, gosh, can you play? He's like, I can play. We're walking into the to the facility to show, and he jumps up because he's pumped up and hits his head in the doorway, like the the top of the door, and knocks himself out. As we're about to walk on stage, <laughs> <laughs> so now <laughs> we walk on stage. He's out, uh, knocks himself out. So I walk up. Hey, you know we were going to do a stand man. We don't have a drummer. Anybody play drums? We asked anybody in the crowd to play drums. And guys said, <laughs> Because, guys guy said he could play drums, about 500 people there. walks him on stage, starts playing, and it was the worst. I, I, I mean, the guy clearly never played drums. So I called it off after about 30 seconds. All right, you're out of here. And then we did Simon and Garfunkel.
0: So you were doing live auditions for a drummer <laughs> whilst you mentally play playing on a concert.
1: <laughs> One intentions, second show ever. After a massively successful first show. The second show ever, our drummer knocked himself out, walking into the room where we were playing. So I did a whole with a whole crowd of people, asked someone to come up and play drums. He was terrible. I fired him in 30 seconds. And then we did Simon and Garfunkel songs for the rest of the show. <laughs>
0: I'm starting to I'm starting to realize why you ended up in sales and not as a uh, – I mean why your rock career didn't necessarily take off. I mean, it's all becoming clearer
1: now. The good news is the good news is people love like Cecilia. We did Cecilia. People like that. Then we did uh, um, uh, for Emily, wherever I may find her. Everybody looked that one up. It took its a good time. The problem is though is like you know again I've had this problem. The crowd. It wasn't expecting to hear Simon Garfunkel. They wanted to hear Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Poison and that type of stuff. So, you know, we turned it on him a little bit and it worked out. But um, what's the moral of the story? I don't, I don't think there is one. But <laughs> the moral of the
0: story think... is is make sure you get a good drummer before you actually get yeah. on stage. I
1: don't, well, he was a great drummer. He just knocked, he knocked himself out on the way to stage. Oh, my lord. That was a good story, I thought. A very good one. And it's all true.
0: Well, I mean, thank you for sharing as always. Sure. I, I do appreciate it. And a couple of things with the tight Pants Jimmy one. I mean, firstly, I am a size 32. So my life sort of flashed before my eyes, eyes there. As you sort of mentioned, you jumped up from a 32 to a 36. I'm sitting here going, oh crap, is that going to happen to me anytime soon? <laughs> but, um, hope, hopefully not. But um, look, I, I do appreciate as always story time with fred pfeiffer and given the way the last couple of sort of bulls games have gone i think we needed a bit of laugh and it's sort of apt as well Fred. now that it's frank uh thanksgiving but i'm tipping your yeah. uh, tight pants fred at the moment as well so a uh, perfect story selection
1: thank you brother yeah tight pants Freddy. i am right now for at least another two or three days
0: fair enough well i'm gonna all right you hit brother. The, i'll let you hit the gym we'll work off of some of that uh, thanksgiving turkey but i appreciate you jumping on as always and we'll talk again next week mate
1: Sounds good, brother. Have a good one, man.
0: Ah, oh, tights pants, Jimmy. That was a good one, folks. I hope you're enjoying these stories with Fred. I definitely am, but um, he's a, a crazy, crazy man, one that I um, <laughs> one whose company I thoroughly enjoy, oh, old Fred. But uh, that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode of Bulls HQ. Hope you enjoyed this one. Hopefully it was a bit more entertaining than a couple of these Bulls games that we've sort of had to sit through over the last few days, but we'll be back again very shortly. I'm not sure if I'll do a midweek show or not, but be on the lookout for that where you typically find all your podcasts. In the meantime, however, you can follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. Follow me at MK Hoops on Twitter as well. And if you get a chance, give us a five-star review, even subscribe to the show on your podcasting platform. I really do appreciate that. So until next time, this has been Bulls HQ. Music.